Well, Nate, we did it. We got to episode 100. <laughs> and almost Amazing. two Yes, almost two years to the day that the first episode of this podcast dropped. We are now dropping episode 100. And to kind of commemorate this, I guess at least for ourselves, we really thought long and hard about what we would do this episode about. We didn't want to treat this as a normal episode. And so today, what Nate and I want to do uh, for everyone listening, everyone watching on YouTube, we are considering the lessons learned over the last two years. We came into this experience very open-minded with open hands. Hey, we'll do this. You know, if we run out of topics in 20 episodes, then maybe we just call it. And what ended up happening over the yeah. last two years was that Nate and I really began to get a different picture of this industry. Uh, this podcast has grown, its listener base has grown tremendously since we started. Um, it has brought mm -hmm. a different kind of school owner uh, into our environment. And we've ended up making connections and talking to a lot of people that we didn't know before. Uh, owners of schools that are doing yeah. a million a year or, or approaching a million a year. It has been phenomenal. And my view of our industry, of the music education industry, is very different than it was two years ago. And I want to talk about, and mm. Nate wants to talk about today, some of those lessons we've learned along the way. Uh, Nate, thoughts on this? Well, I like the way you framed it when you were teeing up the idea, which you were like, Nate, what are lessons that we actually learned? And when I say actually learned, I always think about it in terms of like experiential knowledge. Like they weren't just in my head as an intellectual idea, or it's not like a am hypothesizing that this could be true. I'm saying we heard, we met so many amazing people. We heard so many great questions from our listeners. And over time, as we engaged with them, these sort of lessons like moved into my heart. And I was like, oh, wait, these are like some universal truths. Like I need to really contemplate why we're seeing some of these uh, successes and challenges over and over and over from so many people in our community. So so welcome back to the Seven Figure Music School, everyone. I'm Daniel. This is Nate. We're here to show you how to run a fun, mission-driven business. We've been doing that for the past two years, and we're going to be doing it going into 2024. Now, before we actually jump into the lessons learned and uh, kind of go through our list that we really spent a lot of time thinking about, I uh, want to make everyone aware of an opportunity that's coming up on December 7th. Mm. So for the past two years... Around New Year's time, for two years running, we ran, we released episodes on annual planning. We talked about the importance of it. We talked about how to do it. We gave some good education on that. It's one of those necessary evils that we have in our business that people know they need to be doing, but they don't do it. Like we're supposed to eat healthy, but we kind of don't. Um, and this year, instead of doing yet another episode on annual planning, we decided to go a step further. And we are going to be hosting a special workshop on December 7th, and at this workshop, we're actually going to teach our annual planning process, give you our templates for annual planning, and actually walk you through and help you get started on annual planning for uh, the coming year. So that this isn't just something that you kind of feel vaguely guilty about 
as you go into 2024, we actually want to help you do it. That's how important we think it is. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, And this, by the way, this workshop is absolutely free. So we are not charging for this. We very well could. We really just want to help folks. So as like our gift to you, weird that we're giving the gift after 100 episodes, but as our gift to you, we want to help you have the best year that you can in 2024. So um, there will be information either in the email you got or if you're seeing this on social media or on the Grow blog, um, there'll be links on how to register. Um, register early. We only have so many spots before um, we can't take any more in our conference platform. So if you want to do this, make sure to sign up early. There will be training and then there'll be some practical exercises. That's all I can say right now. But you know, again, if you're subscribed to the email list for 7FMS, you will definitely get the invites for this. And if you want to do that, go to growyourmusicstudio.com slash 7FMS. Just sign up there, join our email list, and you'll definitely get invites to uh, register for free. So having said that, I want to jump into the lessons learned, Nate. Should I start us off? Yeah, yeah. You, t- you tee us up with number one. Lessons okay. you actually learned, Daniel. What do you got? Yes. So this one, I'm going to start with a short and easy one. There is a market now in our industry for selling your school. A market Mm. that did not exist five years ago. Our industry has developed quite a bit in the last five to seven years. The sophistication, the opportunities available, uh, the resources available to studio owners and multi-teacher school owners are there's just been an explosion in resources available, community, trainings, services. But I think one of the ones that really took me by surprise, uh, really came to my attention with Jeff Homer, who's been on the podcast multiple times, and his ensemble music school Mm -hmm. company that is buying up schools all over the United States. Uh, Their goal is to get to 200 studios by 2030. Um, and I think they're actually going to surpass that goal, to be quite honest, given the rate at which they're buying schools. But I personally know school owners who've sold their school to Jeff and had sort of an exit strategy. Because this opportunity exists now, I think it's changing how a lot of school owners, at least the ones I've interacted with, how they're thinking about their school and the seriousness with which they are now thinking about the business side of things. So that has been a real eye-opening thing for me. And now I've even seen other groups of um, uh, you know, business people who are also not copying that model, but doing something similar. We had another guy on who's buying up schools um, on the western half of the United States, uh, Brady Davis. And, mm. um, and mm. their company isn't as big yet. Uh, but I think we're going to see more and more of this over the next decade. And I think that people, as opposed to thinking of their business as a money-making venture or just a cash-generating venture, I think more and more school owners will begin to see that as a possible retirement exit plan or take the business more seriously or take the lessons that they've learned by looking at a company like Ensemble and then running their school in a different way so they could perhaps even passively hold the company and let someone else run it. So I think that's been a huge eye-opener for me, and it's made me think very, very differently even about how I do coaching and consulting. Nate, thoughts or maybe a different lesson learned? Yeah. The le- well, I'm going to link one of my lessons I've actually learned over the first 99 apps together, but you just highlighted it perfectly. Quote, running their school differently. 
what I've under what I think that's a really important comment to double down on is that what we've seen, given that now there's this opportunity that we really didn't see. Like I definitely didn't think along these lines 14 years ago when we started Brooklyn Music mm. Factory that hey, you know what? One of my exits could be to really systemize my business, get very fluent in the financial side of it, understand its worth, and then say at year 20, exit by selling and then having capital to do something else with all my newfound knowledge. And that's the piece that I want to highlight there. When you said running their school differently, what we've noticed over the last two years is that there are more and more um, school owners that are actually interested in leveling up their business acumen and saying, hey, not only do I love music and do I love music education, but I really actually am beginning to fall in love with the craft of business. And in order to be able to sell your business or to even consider that as a possible exit, you're absolutely going to have to fall in love with the craft of business and get to a certain level of predictability within your school and your multi-teacher school for someone to be interested in buying it. Um, which brings me to one of, one of my lessons that I've actually learned, Daniel. All of our listeners know that I love numbers. I love the um, side of the business that uh, is around forecasting and working on the financials and then doing a lot of analytical work. One of the lessons that I've actually learned is that not everybody's like that. In fact, I would say of all of our listeners and the clients we've worked with and the different schools that we've coached over the last couple few years, um, actually certainly less than half of them are truly interested in the financial fluency piece. Uh, and it's just like the lesson I learned, dude, is that it's not that exciting to a lot of people, which means that you and I need to do a much better job of helping them understand that it's not that complicated. It won't take up your entire life. And most importantly, it's essential to get right at some point. Mm. That's what I got from my lesson learned on that tip. And I think your second lesson learned there kind of leads right into number three for me. Uh, when you think about the fact that there are far more options for building truly remarkable studio business. And then that there are now more resources available to help us in areas of the business that we didn't learn in music school. That kind of leads me to my third lesson learned. And I will say that I suspected this prior mm. to us starting this project, but now I've definitely confirmed it. Like intuitively this makes mm. sense. But I've seen it confirmed over and over and over again. And it's so short, simple, to the point. I'm not even going to belabor the point on this one. And it's simply this. The school owners that I see that are having the most success are the ones that have invested e heavily either into, A, their business education, or B, invested heavily into their school itself, or C, and most likely, they've invested heavily into both. So examples of this, um, a couple, you know, 10 episodes back, we had Caitlin Davidson on. I've known Caitlin since 2016. She was actually the first coaching client of Grow Your Music Studio way back in 2016. Mm. Um, she ended up working with us a number of times over the years. She also 
I, I know her personally, you know, we kind of have more of a business friendship now, you know, we're, we're on the texting and, and, you know, messenger basis. Um, and we'll just randomly check in with each other, even though she hasn't been a client for a while. But I know that not only has she invested with us, but has invested in a number of trainings and courses from other business owners. She has spent so much time like traveling to conferences, reading books. I also think of folks like, again, another guest we had on recently, Vera, put a ton of money into a, and I don't use this word lightly, a world-class recital hall. Something very unusual. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a one in 10,000 music school, a one in 100,000 music school. I mean, who does that? And, mm. and to hear her talk about the mm. challenges she had in getting that built and the effort they put into getting it built, uh, the, the levels to which she had to personally sacrifice to create the program she wanted, that kind of investment led to an outsized return. Mm. And when I think about... Yeah. Um, when I think about this, I think the opposite of it is to have like a very small view, have a very uh, fearful view of investment where you're kind of viewing the school as just a vehicle to fuel a lifestyle or to, to provide a job for yourself. There is nothing wrong with that. That's fine. But there's sometimes, I and, and I see this often, there's a mismatch between the goals that someone has and the way uh, that they're running the school, see? Yep. So it's fine to run a cash flow business. And frankly, the last five years that my studio was still open, because I was building this business, my vision for what I wanted to do actually diminished. And I really did see it as, yeah, this is just a way to take a skill that I have and a love that I have for instructing kids in the piano and make good money doing it Meanwhile, I'm building this other thing over here. That's where my passion really lies. You know, like my long-term yep. future, my long-term future. And so in that case, then great. My, my vision matched my actions. But for someone who says, oh yeah, I want to get to 300 students. I want to mm. get to 500 students. And yet they won't dig down, dig deep, find a way to invest in SEO or find a way to invest in, you know, uh, working with a coach. And I'm not just talking about us, any coach that can help you with financial fluency or help you with your um, marketing challenges or help you with team problems. Like there's just a mismatch between what you say you want and, and what you're actually doing. And so again, I think the lesson learned here to kind of wrap it up is just this idea that I see the, the, the most successful owners that I've either interacted with, interviewed, coached, um, they have put themselves in really uncomfortable positions over and over again, over and over again um, mm. to, to build something yeah. that is really unique either for their city or in the cases of some of the guests that I already know we're going to have on in 2024, uh, something that actually even has an international audience because they're doing like an online version of a studio. Um, and I will just say yep. this. I'm just going to say, I've been extremely happy with the guests we've had on this show. The last 15 to 20 episodes, we've had some really, truly incredible guests. Um, I can't even tell you how excited I am for what we have in store for you coming up in 2024. We're only playing the first half of the year right now, but some of the guests we're having on, I'm I like, I'm just true. I cannot wait to tell you all. So uh, stay tuned. This episode is sponsored by grouplessons.com. If you're looking for a group piano method that is easy to implement in your studio or school, look no farther 
than Piano Express from grouplessons.com. Because unlike most group piano methods, Piano Express allows students to make individual progress within the context of a larger group. And because of the at-home practice tools and gamified curriculum, students using the Piano Express method make faster progress than the average method book student. And that helps students feel excited, accomplished, and motivated to learn new music. Also, the system is really adaptable. We've got teachers using the system in their home studios, and we have many large commercial studios running our three-room model that allows you to see up to 24 students per hour with just two teachers. So if you'd like to learn more about Piano Express, navigate to grouplessons.com and sign up for a free demo. You'll get to look at the method, our app and teacher guides, and we'll even give you a sneak peek of our implementation plan that has helped hundreds of studios start their group program in just a few weeks. I'm psyched for the guests. That's always a good sign because I can't wait to, to learn from them. There were a bunch of lessons that came out of this that I learned, and I sort of put them all under one category, which is this. If something, I wrote, when something matters enough to do it, then do it fully or wholly and do it to the absolute best of your ability. So going super deep on, a, on each system and trying to get it operational and correct is much more important than having a bunch of half-baked, broken ideas or systems that you test once or twice and never really refine and get to be done month after month or year after year at your uh, company or music school. So perfect example, pitching this December 7th annual planning. If you've never really done annual planning, or maybe you listened to our app a year or two ago and like sort of tried it in a journal for an hour, but you're like, huh, I know it's important. Well, then show up December 7th and create your first draft of a system that you're actually doing. And then know that a year later, you'll get draft two at it. And a year after that, you'll get draft three. But really, really do it. And if you're not really, really going to commit to it, and it, by the way, I know this sound, you're sort of like, dude, this, is, this sounds abstract to me. I push back on that. You know when you're 100% committed. You know it. You know, for example, when there's a teacher of yours who's really struggling and you decide whether or not you're going to go help her and do one-on-one -on -one check ins with her until she moves from struggling to mostly succeeding, you know if you're actually going to show up for the next four weeks to support her or whether or not you're just paying at lip service. So that's the major lesson, which is like, it just doesn't matter to do something 20%. Just put it on your someday maybe list and don't bother. Stick with a handful of Back to what Dan, you were saying, dude, stick with a handful of areas in your business that you truly want to develop and just dig deep there. It's like my buddy said, um, you know, at the Dharma Center where I go, and he was just like, he's like, Nate, don't dig a bunch of shallow holes. Just do deep reading on the subject mm. and try to create an experiential understanding through practice of that one teaching, right? So just to highlight, well, actually, Daniel, let me ping it back if you got anything that popped up, because I see you over there nodding your head, and I actually had three sub-bullets, but maybe it's too much information. <laughs> what yeah. do you know, what's top of mind for you? Well, once again, it, it kind of naturally leads into to my ne next two lessons learned, to be honest. And 
I think okay, lay them on yeah, us. Yeah, these are the only other two that I had, and they're so closely connected. I almost don't want to split them. And like the second one, mm. it's something that I suspected this was true, but in starting this podcast, in starting to meet a bunch of people that I had not met be- met before, because really prior to twenty twenty, Grow was a, a lot more focused on single teacher studios, and after the pandemic, mm-hmm. especially as we started this podcast. We've just worked with a lot more bigger schools. Um, not that we don't love single teacher studios. We love you. Uh, but we've broadened, right. I think, the experience that, that we have. Um, and again, I suspected this was true, but now I've confirmed it. I've come up with a list of kind of the nine big problem areas that schools have. I think prior in, in working with people and having a conversation here or there, you know, they talk about the blind man and the elephant where, you know, you, you got a blind and this guy's feeling the trunk and this guy's feeling the tail and this guy's feeling the side. And it's like, they each have a description of what the elephant is because of their limited perspective. I think I felt like this prior mm. to the last two years, but again, in meeting all these studio school owners, in doing the podcast and talking to these guests, I've come up with a short list of the, let's call them areas that school owners most commonly struggle. These are the problem areas. Mm. Okay. I'm just going to read them off here real fast. I don't have a lot of editorial time management, student retention, low profit margins. This is a big one. Difficulty in finding teachers or a perceived difficulty in finding teachers. Uh, keeping educational quality high as the business scales up. Um, another struggle, they call it uh, struggling getting leads, but what I call it is their struggle is actually an underinvestment in marketing. <laughs> That's the real struggle. Um, another big one, lack of vision or lack of a plan to execute that vision. Um, eight, probably a little bit more hidden, but came out over time, unaddressed personal issues. So issues Mm. in the personal life that are actually sapping all their strength and energy and focus out of the business and into things going on outside of the business. But then there's problems in the business because of those things, but they don't necessarily see that they're connected. Or... They know that, oh, I, you know, there's a lot of stress in this area of my life over here, you know, maybe caring, ca- um, caring for an aging parent or a home issue or you know, just something like that. And they realize there's stress there, but they don't see all the, sub, uh, all the ways that it's impacting the business. And then uh, the last one, number nine, reactivity versus proactivity. Okay, so mm. those are the areas of struggle I see. The other lesson learned, and this goes back to what you were just saying, Nate, and I, I don't think I'm going to say it quite the way you did. I, I, I was paying attention, but you said it in a certain way. I think the way what I'm about to say is very similar to it. It's just my way of phrasing it. Yeah, yeah. Let's hear it. Um, it's that. And, and this is really kind of a uh, not a more recent revelation, but it's just been dawning on me, especially this year, is that I think owners have to have an emergent breakthrough. And, mm. and what I mean is, 
uh, there's this idea of an emergent property. It's not linear, but rather there's a number of things that have to go correctly at once for mm. something to work correctly. I do think mm-hmm. that there can be low-hanging fruit identified, and and you know, you and I have a process to identify that low-hanging fruit with people that we've worked with, where we've really gotten to the heart of the matter quite quickly, um, and say, oh, mm. this is the biggest area of struggle, and now let's actually go to work on that thing. But what's interesting is that we might go to work on that thing, but there's only a little bit of felt change. So then we move to the second thing on the list. And maybe, you know, maybe the number one thing was retention and the second thing was marketing. So then we go to marketing and we make some changes there. Then, you know, and work deep on that, focus on that for a while. Then we go to the third thing, focus on that. And then boom, all of a sudden, explosive, massive growth. That That's a sign of like a, of an emergent breakthrough is that enough mm-hmm. things have to be going right for the whole thing to get off the ground. Otherwise, you just don't, to, to maybe switch yes. analogies, you don't have enough uh, of a boost to get out of the atmosphere, to get off the launch, pl- get off the launch pad. Let me, actually, let me actually demonstrate what I'm talking about. This episode is sponsored by BigMusicGames.com. As our listeners know, Brooklyn Music Factory is all about a fun, fluency-first approach to music lessons. And at the foundation of our teaching methods are rhythm, melody, harmony, and songwriting games that challenge students as young as four years old to train their ears and flex that musical mind. Because when you set an intention of gamifying every single lesson, you're going to find improved attendance, increased play at home, and higher student retention. So we've set up a website just for our listeners so you can start playing today. Go to bigmusicgames.com backslash 7FMS and create your free account. Again, that's bigmusicgames.com backslash the number 7 FMS. And if you join today, I'm going to send you a personal invite to join our weekly teacher training call with me and Greggy Bizzle, our chief game designer. Go ahead and put play back into practice with Big Music Games. I'll have someone come to me and say, yeah, we've got 150 students and I'm taking home like $2,500 a month. After I pay all expenses, after mm-hmm. I pay the teachers, after I pay more, you know, the rent or the mortgage mm-hmm. on the studio location. Okay, so what's the goal then? Well, I really want to be at X number of dollars per month. You know, I want to make a want to make a wage that makes sense. I don't want us to have to even necessarily be a two income household like that. That's the goal. Okay, well, why can't you get to that? Okay, well, you know, we, we get about five to ten leads a month. Okay, and you know, we have 150 students, but but um, I don't feel our retention's good. Well, what is your retention? How many students are you losing per month? Well, you know, we haven't been the best about tracking that. I think we did a couple years ago, but then like I lost this admin and she'd been the one tracking it. And I don't know how to log into this software over here. And I don't know how to find this. And actually we switched from this uh, studio management platform to this studio management platform. And the old one tracked it this way, and the new one actually doesn't really track it. So I'm not even sure actually how to do it. Okay, so a homework assignment. I need you to go find those retention numbers. I just want you to uh, – here's here's my marketing metrics worksheet that I give every single client. Here's how you're going to track this from now on. Because actually, the way you were tracking it actually doesn't even make sense, the way you were doing it before. Are there any other problems? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, 
we're having real trouble keeping teachers. And so, Nate, do you hear what's happening here? It's like this, it's like spaghetti. It's all wrapped up in each other. This is what I'm talking about. And so, and, and then I'm like, okay, I need to do this, 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 and this. So they come back two weeks later. I ask them how much they got done out of, you know, these homework assignments I give them. Oh, you know, I feel really guilty because I only got to the first one. I know I was supposed to do like these three things. I only got the first. Well, why is that? Well, and then they like 20 minutes later, they've told me everything going on in their personal life and how they don't have time to do this, this, and this. Okay, so actually then let's actually see even how you're using your personal time. How much do you think you're working each week? I've got to be working like 50, 60 hours. Okay, let's actually just determine that. So I give them this other tool that I give my clients and we actually track their time. Yeah. So, um, and I'll just give an example, two different clients this year. So grossly overestimated how much they were actually working on the business that one of them was actually even embarrassed to show me the sheet because they'd worked so little on the business during the previous, you know, week or two that I asked them to track this. And so it's like, um, there's, there's just these issues, you know, all across and they're all like feeding into each other. And so there has to be kind of like this entrepreneurial, like reset, where it's like, okay, we got to get some basic habits in place. We got to get some basic habits in place. We need to actually figure out what's true about your finances, true about what your leads actually are, true what your actual problems are around leads, or if there is one, what your actual problems are around retention. And undergirding all this is like actually addressing personal habits, uh, time management habits, productivity habits, um, and and a lot of times what ends up happening is, and I'm not, I don't use this. I know you alluded to this earlier, Nate, but um, it's almost like people have to become business athletes. Like athletes have to live a certain way to be competitive. If you're going to run a competitive business, if you're going to run a business, it's going to pay you good money. And I ran one of the, I've been running one of those for a long, long time now. There are some things that have to be in place. I don't think they're intuitive. And it's, it's a, it's the rare cat that's that actually kind of bootstraps their way to this. Some of these people I was telling you about, you know, or folks that we've had on the um, on the podcast interview, these folks, there's something different going on up there. Most people aren't like that, but it is very possible for the average person, and I'm a good example of this, Nate, I think you're a good example of this, to like to put some things in place where maybe they weren't gifted in that area. And actually, over time, as they continue to work at that skill, actually get to a point where it's like what emerges from that is something really, really incredible. I was, I'm not natu- I was not naturally like a very gifted public speaker. Some might make the argument that I'm still not. But if you go back and look at videos that Grow put out in 2016, it's actually painful to watch those early videos of mine. I was so wooden, mm. could not think on my feet had to like read off an outline, right? Um, I did not Mm -hmm. have a business education. I didn't naturally like, you know, (laughs) I I wasn't a toddler who I like had a to-do list. I had to learn all these things, you know? Um, Yeah. And uh, I think it's, um, you know, Thomas said, I'll I'll stop after this. Well, you know, Thomas Edison called it perspiration and inspiration, but it's mostly perspiration. I think you have to work towards these things. Yeah, that's the check your ego too. I mean, we're you you do not do not expect yourself to be get a perfect view of yourself. Right? There's a whole reason why we build a group of people around us, a mastermind, 
why we have a coach, why we have a therapist, why we go to church. I mean, the list is just on and on and on of where we're like, hey, I'm really trying to be like only do the right thing by my moral code every week. But guess what? It gets hard by day six. So I need to swing back around and get reminded of areas that I can grow and change. Um, I'm going to move on to another lesson learned. I have so much to say on this, but I just feel like in the interest of time, we need to, we need to, I want to stuff this last one in there. Is that cool, Daniel? Okay. So I'm going to go to this one. Um, it's around leadership, right? And we're really talking about people that now have a multi, uh, teacher studio, they have some admin, they have a desk person, they're working with their bookkeeper, hopefully. Like, by the way, if you have a multi-teacher studio and you're still trying not to spend three or 400 bucks a month on a bookkeeper to do your reconciliation, please change that in 2024. <clears throat> okay. So there are different types of leaders. But in my observation of all of the guests we've had and all of the different uh, wonderful school owners that we've gotten to work with, the effective ones seem to have a real vested interest in their employees. And all of them, teachers, the desk person, their SEO expert that they work with, they it doesn't matter if it's a contractor or an employee, but they are vested in them, right? And 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 the reason why I think this is so noteworthy is because sometimes we forget when we get into the depths of learning the craft of business that ultimately the business that we're, the industry we're in is a people business and people are messy and unpredictable humans just are we just are by nature like daniel you and i've been working together for a long time now and like there are many times where I'm like, dude, my world just feels messy. I need a little bit of your mojo. Give me some of your systemized uh, mojo. Like even like time tracking, I'll be like, wait a minute. I think I need to do Daniel's time tracking for a while just to like reset. You know, like I'm messy in my habits. They're not always perfect. Of course, they're nowhere even close to perfect. But the point is, is that's the business we're in, whether it's a parent you're talking to, whether it's one of your students or it's someone on your staff. And so we want to be careful in our efforts to systemize the operations of the company that we don't oversimplify or try to systemize all the people. Right? People are not like, we're not managing people. You and I have talked about this, Daniel. We're managing outcomes in our business. And people are the core component of that outcome. So I'm not trying to control my desk person and what they do every day of the week and every hour. I'm trying to control that the energy in the community room is joyful and communal and that there are games being played and drum circles happening most of the time. That's the outcome I want. I want the outcome for people to feel joy when they walk into our community room before and after a lesson or class right? That's what I'm actually managing. And so that, I just want to, I wanted to get that in there because I think one of the challenges that we have as business owners is we want everything to be predictable ultimately. But we need to know 
that our teachers get sick. That is not predictable. The only predictable thing there is that they will absolutely get sick and you will absolutely hear at 1 p.m. before a 3 p.m. lesson that they're not coming in. That's the one predictable part of working in a people business is that it is going to be like that. And so the leaders that anticipate that, getting back to your lesson learned, Daniel, the leaders that anticipate the messiness of working with people are much happier running a school and much more peaceful because they understand the nature of that. Um, And that might sound abstract, but it's not. It's very specific. Systemize where you can, right? Manage outcomes, not human actions, and anticipate the unpredictable, anticipate that there will be change week in, week out, because you're in the people business. You're not building widgets with a machine. By the way, I bet you if we were, Daniel, if we were doing a podcast on building widgets in a factory, we would actually talk about the unpredictability of technology and machines breaking down, right? But uh, anyways, that's the last really important lesson that I've actually learned because I feel it at Brooklyn Music Factory and I feel it in the guests that we have and the clients we work with and all the amazing listeners that write in questions. That's great. There was, man, there was something I was, there's something you said that kind of sparked how I might end. Cause we only, I mean, we, we're going to end mm. perfectly for you. Um, Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, maybe we just end on yeah, that. Yeah, got a closer. Um, oh, yes. No, yeah. What do you got? Lay I off. know what I was going to say. Yeah. So as we draw to a close on this episode, I think <laughs> to summarize the lessons learned that we've talked about today, I think it really just comes down to a word that kept coming up over and over again between us, Nate. You said it, I said it, and I think it shot through a lot of the topics yeah. that got said here was just the idea of investment. Um, no one mm-hmm. no one builds a great business without investment of some kind. And I think that's intuitive. I think we know that, but as we've gotten into the details here, um, we see uh, and begin to feel just how deep that has to go. And there has to be this conscious plan of how to move forward. And I think just as we wrap, I'm, I'm going to say, as we wrap episode 100 here, that you know we really want to help to support you in the journey. I think one of the ways we can do that, uh, you know, check the show notes or uh, seek us out on social media. Come to this annual planning workshop we're doing. It's absolutely free. We can help you get set up for an amazing year. Uh, Nate and I are currently in the process as we're recording this of getting ready for our annual planning because uh, we're obviously recording this long before uh, when the air date. Um, but yeah, we'd love to connect with you and to help you uh, mm. start investing in, in in ways that are really meaningful and that can actually make true change in the business. And just as a personal thank you for me, thank you for sticking with us for 100 episodes. We've really enjoyed doing this. It's opened my eyes Obviously, we've learned these lessons. I hope you've learned them along with us. And um, yeah, thank you for listening to the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much. 100 episodes is amazing, Daniel. Like, it's really a celebration. 100 of anything is amazing. So thank you, too. Thank you, Daniel, for showing up 100 times with me. (laughs) For sure. It's been fun. (laughs) Cool. All right. Well, we'll see you all 
Uh, in the next one, we're going on a little bit of a hiatus here uh, in December, but will we be? We will be back at the beginning of January with a slate of new episodes. Uh, we've already been doing a lot of planning. Uh, we'll, we'll already have a lot of them recorded prior to the end of 2023, ready to be aired right at the beginning of 2024. That's why we can be so confident about how good these episodes are going to be. Um, but uh, we look forward to hanging out with you, talking with you, answering questions, and perhaps working with you in the new year. Hey, it's Nate again. You know, every year at Brooklyn Music Factory, we get dozens and dozens of great reviews from our families. And you want to know how? Because we ask them. And they're happy to leave a review because of the positive impact that we've made on them. And so now I have a simple ask for you. If this podcast, the 7FMS podcast, was helpful to you, would you mind leaving a review for Daniel and I? And please share the podcast with another music school owner that you think might benefit. It's one of the best ways that you can support us. We appreciate it.